This podcast is brought to you by Blackbee Ministries International. To find out more, visit blackbee.org. Welcome to the Richard Blackaby Leadership Podcast. So good to have you all with us. Thanks for tuning in. My name is Sam, and I'm your host, and I'm joined by Richard Blackaby. Always good to be with you, Sam. I know you're. Uh, it's good, good to catch you when you're not on a bike. This. Uh, these yeah, days. I've been. I've been putting in some miles uh, as I <laughs> hundred mile stare down. Ride this, is coming up. This big. This big ride coming up, and and hopefully I'll be able to to make the full hundred, but we'll see. So oh. it's it's been it's been fun so far. Why would you run, ride 100 miles? Because it was there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, you just got back from uh, speaking at the Cove, the yeah. Billy Graham Training Center. Yeah, that's always good to be there. I sure encourage your listeners, uh, if you just really want a really nice, uh, classy kind of uh, retreat, getaway, spiritual uh, retreat, go to the Cove sometime uh, just outside of Asheville, North Carolina. It's, yeah. We were just, uh, my son Daniel and I were speaking there last week, and uh, boy, I tell you, all the flowers were out, and it was just beautiful. They yeah. really keep up that property, and you look out on, on the Blue Ridge Mountains, and looks like they may be having me come back next March and do a, a seniors retreat. So just the people that qualify to be a, as a senior, which I'm not sure what, what the age is for that but yeah we'll, uh, we'll leave that to be discovered but uh <laughs> if you if you're a little older and you've always wanted to go uh next march i'll be speaking there and uh and i think they may already be booking me for 2023 20, uh, as well so you'll uh I'll, yeah you'll well, it's a great venue and it's just a it's nice when you have a a real well done venue to match yeah. a, a good conference. You know, you can That's, have a good conference in a bad place. Yeah. You can have a bad conference in a good place. But <laughs> I've done all two, those. Yeah. When the two combine, it's really something special. Yeah, and I mean, that's the area where Billy Graham lived, of course, and, and uh, where he got charged back up before heading out on yeah. the road again. So it's it seemed to work for him. So Yeah, well, that's that's good. Yeah. Well, this week we want to look at, um, you know, we, we started this a while back, is, is looking at leaders in the Bible. Mm-hmm. And uh, we looked at Moses and Joshua. I think we Nehemiah? did. Nehemiah. Nehemiah. Yeah. yeah. And uh, today we want to look at uh, what, uh, perhaps a more headline leader, <laughs> um, a well-known figure in the Bible, and that's King David. Yeah. Yeah, and of course we know a lot about David, uh, and uh, I guess in some ways uh, he's a bit notorious because of his failings that mm-hmm. were, were epic in proportions when he did fail. Yeah. But, uh, well, yeah. There's. I was going to say there's a lot of different ways you could uh, you could go with the leadership of of David. There's yeah. Lots of uh, space in the Bible dedicated uh-huh. to his uh, to his life for sure. Yeah, uh, and but you know, I think like all the biographies that we've studied um, in more modern times as well, he's like every leader. He's got his flaws, and has got he has his strengths. And and for a lot of people, really, throughout the course of our life, the, the big question is: will will our strengths uh, sort of come out ahead in the end, or will our weaknesses uh, bring us down? And there's yeah. almost a a constant conflict. Do you strengthen your strengths or do you succumb to your weaknesses? And, uh, and so with most people, because we all have both weaknesses and strengths, uh, there, there are parts of our journey that we can be proud of and celebrate. And there's parts that we're ashamed of and, uh, that bring out the worst in us. And, and certainly that's the case with David as well. Yeah. And I think a lot of his trajectory really 
is a good model in some ways of of leaders and what to watch out for. And for so, sure. you know, he's known, of course, famously, kind of blasts onto the scene with uh, as a young man when he's taken on Goliath. Uh, and, you know, there's some things about that. Uh, when David takes on Goliath, of course, Goliath is this nine foot or so, eight to nine foot giant. A lot of people have speculated that he had a particular kind of... Uh, of disease that caused him to grow abnormally large as a giant. Uh, there's a medical term for that. Uh, but it also leads to some things like uh, bad eyesight is one of the symptoms. Uh, really, you don't move as fast. You're so big. Yeah. Um, but, of course, you're in those days, he would have been such a terrifying sight to see a guy in full armor that was eight feet or, or, or more. Right. Um, and trying to imagine getting up close with your sword. It's... Yeah. And so, you know, D David, um, of course, when Samuel comes to Jesse's house and says, I've come to anoint one of your sons as uh, the next king. And, and of course they start with the oldest, the firstborn, which is naturally where you should start. They're the natural leaders, uh, yeah. in most groups of siblings, but, uh, uh, but it's not the oldest or the next or the next. And kind of interestingly, uh, Jesse shows all of his sons except his youngest son, David, who's out in the field. And, and that, he doesn't even bother to... Yeah, it's like, well, like, yeah. and in fact, Samuel has to ask, well, do you have any more sons? Well, oh yeah, I guess I do. You know, the youngest. Uh, but he's he's just the baby. Yeah. Uh, and like so many that God uses, it's the one that was kind of least expected that... Uh, that ends up doing the most and that God is pleased to use. And so, you know, when you're, when no one's expecting much of you, you do kind of have an advantage. I mean, you have nothing to lose. Right. Uh, and I often say to people, if you're an ordinary person, uh, instead of playing it safe, saying, well, I'm so ordinary, can't do much. Think of it as, well, no, no one's expecting much. <laughs> You've got no, no one would be disappointed if you prove them right. Uh, yeah. but like David, yeah. So here's, all of your brothers and all the soldiers in your nation cowering in fear before Goliath. And so David, the young teenager, you've got nothing to lose. You might die a spectacular death at a young age, but, uh, uh, but, but look at the upside. If, if, if God truly does, uh, help you, uh, just think of how you'll leapfrog ahead and, and, uh, what God has for you. So mm -hmm. and there's been some studies, uh, uh, Malcolm Gladwell did a study about yeah. that Goliath and, uh, and basically just says that, um, you, of course, when you read that account, Goliath keeps yelling at David, you know, come closer to me. <laughs> and that seems to, to, um, probably confirmed that his eyesight wasn't very good. So he couldn't, he couldn't see David very far and he couldn't move that fast. So, you know, the traditional way to fight was you got up close and you just pounded away at each other with your swords until the stronger man won. Uh, and so David wisely thinks, well, that's suicide. If I get up close to him, he's going to pulverize me, but, but I can keep a distance from him and fling rocks at him and he can't, he can't catch me. I'm faster than he yeah. is. And he, with his sword, I'm out of swords length. And so Gladwell kind of makes a good point, I think, to say, although it looks like, uh, you know, David and Goliath sort of situation where David doesn't have a chance, he actually has a, a better chance. I mean, than you would think because yeah. Goliath's not going to chase him down on the field. And, and by throwing a rock at Goliath, he, his eyesight's terrible. Uh, and so he wouldn't even, I mean, 
rocks are coming at you pretty fast anyway, but he wouldn't have probably seen it coming anyway. Yeah. And so David, uh, I think is a great leadership lesson is uh, a lot of battles we fight. Don't, you don't have to let your enemy set the, the rules for you. Mm-hmm. Your, your enemy doesn't have to pick the battlefield or the battle, uh, approach. You, uh, David wisely, uh, chooses a way to fight that is to his advantage. That right. it, that he has all the upside, the trump cards, speed, uh, th- you know, shooting things through the air where you don't have to get into physical contact. Um, and I think for a leader, there's a lot of great lessons there to say when you're facing a problem. First of all, this, there may be more than one way to to take it on. Yeah. And uh, your enemies, your critics, opponents. They're often trying to get you on the battlefield to fight their way, the way that where they have the advantage. And uh, I've often said this about critics. Sometimes what they really want is for, for you to be just dragged down into the muck and the mire where they dwell and to start yeah. flinging insults back. And then they've got you right where they want you. But uh, sometimes taking the high road says, no, I'm on the high road. I have an advantage over you because I still have my integrity. I still have my the blessing of God, why would I give that up and get into a, a mud slinging match with you? So, so early yeah. on, he, he kind of demonstrates that. Well, you know, it's interesting cause he just comes at it from outside the, tr- all the traditions of warfare. Yeah. You, you get this picture of this kid who just, well, I know a slingshot and I'll use that and not like all the other s- strong soldiers are thinking, well, I'm not good. You know, the hand-to-hand combat, it's going to be a death, you know, a death match there. And so it's just interesting from that outsider perspective of him coming in and, and sort of changing that paradigm and, and, and not going with the, the conventional yeah. methods. And of course, throughout history, that those have always been the groundbreaking leaders who just yeah. saw things from a different perspective and said, wait a minute, we don't have to do it that way. We're, yeah. That's not effective. We keep failing at that. Why don't we find a different way to tackle this problem? Yeah. He, do, he didn't have the baggage of tradition and warfare, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, and I often, and you know, I've even said that about like small churches or small organizations. Sometimes uh, you don't have the necessarily the same resources. You can't carry that big sword around and so on. But you're also more flexible. You, yeah. you, you, can, you can adjust. You can pivot. Whereas a big organization is like trying to move a, a big ship. It's, it takes a lot longer. So uh, always play to your advantages. As a leader, always, you always have something that is to your advantage that's your strength. Mm-hmm. Play to your strengths. Quit If you keep getting beat up trying to compete with people who've got way more resources than you, then, then do the, the David and say, you know, I'm not going to try to go toe-to-toe. I, I'll lose. But... What can I do? And so that was certainly, he, that's how he kind of gets started, uh, courageously, creatively. Um, something else about David, a couple of things just to point out, which we know from his story. One is that he's famously good at making friends. Uh, Jonathan, who's the prince, he's the heir apparent, uh, the, the son of, of King Saul. Uh, can you imagine, like, David is his chief competitor. David is the one that is going to threaten Jonathan's right to go to the throne, and yet Jonathan loves him. Jonathan gives him his own weapons and says, you know, I, uh, I love you. I, 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 I risk my life for you. Um, what kind of person uh, attracts that kind of friendship? He, David always yeah. had people that were very loyal to him, uh, that would lay their life down for him, that would accompany him into dangerous places. Of course, he famously has his mighty men. And I've said this before, but... Uh, 
you know, what is, what's the prerequisite to have a band of mighty men that, that want to serve with you or mighty women that want to serve with you? Well, you have to be a mighty man. Uh, and a lot of leaders want to be surrounded by mighty men, but they're not mighty themselves. Uh, yeah. and so you, they, and so I've often thought to myself, if I want to know what kind of leader I am, just look at the caliber of people that choose to work with me. And if I can't find anyone who's effective or reliable or trustworthy or hardworking, then I've got to wonder, well, why can't I attract people like that to myself? Mm. And so, so David is famously a person that, uh, endears himself to other people. And there's some examples we might, we might get to in a moment, but, uh, uh, and something else that, that, that David does, and it's hard and it kind of is the result of a number of the Psalms he writes is that he doesn't force God's best on himself. Uh, he doesn't rush the process. Uh, of course, David gets anointed King by Samuel. Then he has an incredible victory over uh, Goliath and he's becoming famous and well-known. And you would think, boy, any day now I should be King the, the, yeah. maybe at the speed in which I'm building a reputation. I know and, what, what the next step is. <laughs> yeah. And then he goes maybe 15 or so years. Uh, being hunted down by the king, being the the most wanted uh, fugitive in his nation. And uh, on two occasions, of course, uh, David catches Saul uh, unawares and could easily have killed him twice. The very guy who's making his life miserable, who's hunting him down, trying to kill him for no uh, good reason at all. Uh, And both times, David has his trusted uh, sidekicks saying, hey, does like, you can kill him right now. You can get this thing over with. Kill Saul, and then you're you're good. You'll be the king. Uh, in one case, is uh, one of his loyal friends, and I think his cousin uh, Abishai uh, says, "I'll do it. Just just give me permission. I'll strike him down one time. I'll I'll." They caught Saul sleeping, and Abishai says, "I won't even have to hit him twice. Just one blow, and he's and he'll be done, and yeah. and you'll be free." And and on both occasions, David says, "No." He's God's anointed. God's the one who put him in that office. God's the one that will have to take him out. And I've known so many times where people just wanted to kind of meddle with God's will. Uh, I've known some some people that uh, at times felt like they should be the pastor of a certain church. And instead of trusting God in the process, they had to kind of meddle with it. They had to politic. They had to badmouth the guy who was already there. They had to do things that lacked integrity because they wanted what they felt God had for them. And the danger is when you don't trust God's timing, God's ways. Uh, and David was saying, I don't want to bloody my hands getting to the position God has for me. Mm. Uh, and so um, how you do something is as important as, as what you do. And, and, uh, and so David, in his early days, acts with integrity so that he doesn't have to have regrets later. And I've known people that acted like a jerk, uh, undermined their superiors, bad mouths, gossiped about people, uh, got a following together, uh, to try to, you know, overthrow the current leadership. And then finally, when they're the leader, now they got to live with all that. And they've already set a precedent that if you don't like the leader, you just bad mouth them and, and, you know, stab them in the back. And so now yeah. they have to live in constant fear that someone's going to do that to them. Mm. So, you know, he, he does some things with integrity early on. Uh, and maybe one other thing just in terms of his uh, starting out is that uh, 
he a, a number of times it will say that he um, that, that David inquired of the Lord, should I go into battle? He, many times before a fight, he says, should I pursue these Amalekites or should I take on these Philistines? And uh, and God will always tell him, you know, yeah, yeah, fight them head on or go around behind or uh, yeah, pursue them. I'm going to give them into your hands. And so a lot of David's victories, of course, he's a good warrior, he's a good leader, but uh, what partly what makes him a good leader is he fights when the way God tells him to, and yeah. he gets his lead from God. And if you ever thought, does God care about the, the details of our lives, just watch uh, David early on. Um, he doesn't even go into battle without first uh, checking. And in one case, the Malachites come and they steal his wives and his kids and all of his possessions and take off. And David still inquires of God, should we go after them? <laughs> it's, it's uh, you know, I mean, for a lot of us, I think we wouldn't even ask. It's yeah. like, they've just stolen my, my, all of my possessions, my wives. Of course I'm going after him. But, uh, but David will, will, will ask and not just because he wants to know whether he should attack, but wants to know how to attack and God, what's, what uh, guidance are you going to give me that will give me the advantage. And uh, it's interesting in that attack, if you remember that story, it's right near the end of uh, David's uh, time in exile before he becomes king. And and so they take off and they're racing to try to catch up to these Amalekites. And about a third of the of his men, these are a lot of these are mighty men, but they're, they're going so hard and they're moving so fast that about a third of them get so tired that they can't go any further. So David says, well, you watch the all of our baggage and stuff and supplies and the rest of us will go light, you know, go travel light and we'll, 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 we'll fight them. And so with about two thirds of his men, he defeats the Amalekites. They get all kinds of plunder and then they come back and it says some of the worthless men that followed David looked at these guys who were too tired to get there and fight. And they said, uh, well, they don't deserve plunder. They didn't fight. And remember David says, well, yeah, but they, you know, it wasn't because they weren't willing. They just, we wore them out and, and someone had to guard our our luggage and supplies. So he made a rule that said, whether you're in the rear doing your part or you're on the front lines, you all get an equal share, which of course, again, endeared him to a bunch of his men. It, it yeah. said, hey, if you fight with David, you're going to, you're going to get a reward. You're going to get some plunder. And uh, and so David just had a way of leading that made people want to fight with him and uh, be on his side because they knew that he'd look out for him and not be petty and not uh, hoard all the treasure. In fact, when he gets that treasure, he gives some to the people that didn't make it. And then he sends a bunch of treasure to all the villages in southern Judah. Uh, and of course, it's just smart. It's like because they're going to have to decide whether they're going to accept him as king not too much longer from then. Yeah. And so, so many things that David does, you look back and you say, well, wasn't that smart? You, you took some of the plunder, sent it on to these villages, said, hey, God's blessed us, so we want to be a blessing to you. Um, smart maneuvers. And so not long after yeah. that, Saul is dead, and uh, these same people have to decide who are we going to follow as king. And, and it just so happens that, David has been sending plunder to their village and, and enriching yeah. everybody. Um, so many little things that David does in the way he deals with people. You look back and say, now that's just smart leadership. Yeah, well, he's not even king yet, and there's just so <laughs> many rich uh, lessons to draw from his life. And so let's take a quick break, and then we'll, uh, we'll continue on with the leadership of David. 
This fall, Blackaby Ministries is hosting two spiritual leadership coaching workshops, one in the Atlanta area and the other is fully online. The focus of these workshops are learning how to ask the right questions to help move people onto God's agenda. The online workshop is September 13th through the 15th and the in-person workshop is October 21st through the 23rd. To find out more and to register, visit blackabycoaching.org. Links will be in the show notes. These these Old Testament stories, and especially with with David, there's just so much there, and yeah. uh, you know we could we could probably spend several podcasts just dissecting. Don't tempt me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Let us know if you want to want to hear more uh, more on David. But um, you know, there's there's so many little things that he does, so many great lessons to be learned. Um, but we just got the one podcast. That's right. So in the next few minutes here, what what are some of the well some more lessons that we can draw out? Yeah. Of? Well, obviously he had a great first half. Yeah, he did. He mm-hmm. he did, and it seemed like he just typically always did the right thing. But yeah. uh, of course, uh, the second part, I, I thought we'd look at just for a moment his his uh, great failing, and uh, and then, uh, but then also just kind of uh, wrap it up with a particular incident in his life, and so. Of course, David, when when he is up and coming, when he's young, when he's got something to prove, uh, when he hasn't gotten to the the C suite yet, uh, he uh, he seeks God, honors God, writes Psalms, uh, yeah. and so on. He does it all the right uh, way. Does it the right way, and then, but like so many leaders, the when when they're up and coming, when they're still trying to survive and and make it big, they they tend to. Uh, exert a lot of their best leadership attributes and and vision and gathering a team and solving problems, but for so many leaders, it's once they arrive, once they get into the get the throne, yeah, once they enjoy wealth and prosperity, that the real temptation comes. For for a lot of leaders, being in the battle is uh, it just brings out the best in them. Conflict brings the best in them. Prosperity often is a far more lethal enemy to leaders than uh, than trials and, and tribulations. And so, of course, it's after he is securely in, on his throne and he's wealthy and lives in a palace uh, that it says at a certain point that it was a season to go out to war. And David, instead of going out as the king to lead his uh, soldiers, sends Joab, his right-hand man, and he stays behind. And leaders are, uh, and, and this is kind of the, 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 the great, uh, sort of misunderstanding of leadership. Uh, leadership is not about a position. Leadership is not about, hey, I get to be the leader, so I get to live in a palace and make a lot more money than you do. Yeah. Leadership is a role, and to be a leader, you have to lead. And uh, he should have been leading his army. That's what kings did. Uh, he didn't have to necessarily be on the front line, but he had to be with his men and 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 facing the enemy and giving them confidence. But he delegates his leadership role, and he sends him off. And so, when when a leader is not leading, what's he do? I mean, he can get in trouble. Exactly. And of course, he's looking out on his uh, from his palace one night, sees Bathsheba, and uh, and 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 she is the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Who we, if you look back on the list of mighty men, you realize Uriah is one of his mighty men. He's not just some citizen. He's a, yeah. a, a, one, a, He's a great soldier who has loyally put his life on the line for David, perhaps for years. In fact, it's interesting, if you look at one of the lists of mighty men that you find in, uh, in either Samuel or, uh, the, or Kings, um, 
uh, our chronicles. It 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 says it, it lists all of his mighty men, and the very last person mentioned is Uriah, and it's mm-hmm. kind of interesting the way they do that uh, to say here's all these mighty men that've done all this stuff, and then the last one is Uriah, just so we lest we forget. Yeah, the, you know, I think I think that gets missed a lot. That, that it wasn't just a, you know, he just committed adultery, but like he he betrayed a, a, one of his loyal friends. Yeah. 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 Not only did he did he sleep with the man's wife, but then he had the man murdered. Yeah. Uh, which is uh, just amazing uh, depth that he could fall. Mm. Um, and he paid a price for it. Uh, and, you know, I think we, lest we forget that, uh, David will repent. David will be remorseful. Eventually, once he gets found out, it's interesting that when Nathan comes and tells him that little story and says, thou art the man, that took place about a, a year after... David's sin. So for a year, Mm. David thinks he got away with it. For a year, David doesn't confess it, doesn't acknowledge it to God. It's like, whoo, that was was kind of a crazy time in my life, but I'm glad I got away with it. And then a year later, Nathan shows up. It's like God gave him a year to confess himself, to come forward. But like a lot of leaders that are exposed, oftentimes they won't do it voluntarily. They'll finally confess it once they've been found out and exposed anyway. And and so he does, and uh, and his family suffers for it the rest of their lives. Uh, mm-hmm. And um, and I, I think we, we need to learn from David that God can forgive you of your sin. That doesn't mean he always removes the consequences. Mm-hmm. There are some consequences that come when you have betrayed people, when you've lied, when you've not demonstrate integrity when you sin grievously toward others that uh, uh, there, there are times that God won't just sort of say, okay, I'll fix all these uh, consequences that you won't have to suffer them anymore. It's not that God necessarily is even actively punishing you. He's just letting sin's consequences do what they just naturally do. And yeah. and so the, the thing with David is he, he's a great leader on the battlefield, Whenever he's out in the battlefield, whenever he's commanding men, whenever he's facing a, a, a crisis, he always rises to the occasion because that's what leaders do. That's that's the role of a leader, and, and he is a leader. The problem is that David, like so many leaders that we work with uh, over the years, um, he he gives his best to his work and his worst to his home. Mm-hmm. And so David, he loves his kids, uh, loves his wives, but, uh, he just doesn't lead the same way with them. And so of course, famously, uh, Amnon, one of his sons begins to lust after a stepsister Tamar, uh, and, uh, or half sister. And, um, Tamar is the sister of Absalom. And so when Amnon eventually rapes his half sister, uh, Absalom, uh, watches to see what's dad going to do about that. How's dad going to punish my brother uh, and uh, defend the honor of my sister? And David does nothing. Uh, he mm-hmm. and I, and one of the greatest crimes a leader can do is nothing. Uh, to, for there to be a problem, for there to be an issue, you're the leader. You're the one everyone is looking to, and to just let it go. Just to just to. And no, we don't really know why. I mean, David knew what had happened. David wasn't happy about what happened. But um, we've seen this before with pastors of churches, with uh, you know leaders in business. Um, when you know there's a problem, the problems don't go away if you just ignore them. They just get yeah. worse. They fester. And so 
when David does nothing, Absalom eventually murders his brother, trying to get justice for his sister. And uh, he ends up having to be exiled for a while. Eventually, he's brought back uh, to Jerusalem. And, uh, and, and David's just a, he's kind of a strange duck. Like he, he grieves over Absalom being away. But when Absalom comes back to Jerusalem, it says for two years, David never saw him, never called him to come see him. Uh, and it's just inexplainable why leaders can be so blind to their own family when they're so good at running a kingdom or running a company or a church. Yeah. And uh, so eventually, of course, Absalom uh, incites a revolt, a civil war uh, to overthrow his dad. And, and, and none of that was necessary. That could have, there were so many signs that he was troubled, that he was angry, that he was conspiring. Mm-hmm. Absalom is sitting at the front gate talking to everybody saying, boy, if I were the king, I'd sure help you guys out and solve your problems. And, and he's w- marching around with a whole uh, contingent of, of people and a, a big parade everywhere Absalom goes, drawing attention to himself. And, uh, and David just doesn't do a thing. Doesn't, uh, it, you know, he, it's, it's unexplainable why a good leader can just miss all kinds of cues in his own family. But eventually word gets out. Absalom is, is taking over the kingdom and, and it's interesting if you read in, in Second uh, uh, Samuel where that takes place, it's just like all of a sudden David's inner leader kicks into gear. So Absalom has taken over the country. The, the majority of the soldiers and the population are loyal to him now. And so uh, it's like David's just been sleeping at the wheel for, for years. But when all of a sudden David realizes there's a crisis, it's amazing to me to watch his inner leader step back in. And so if you watch it, if you, if you unfold it, uh, he does a number of things. The first thing he does is he gets out of the city. He, he leaves Jerusalem because he doesn't. And, and what good leaders do is before they tackle a problem, they, they get the lay of the land. They, they, David doesn't know who's for him or against him. If he stays in the city, he could easily be surrounded by enemies. He could be stabbed in the back by someone he thought was his friend. So he immediately withdraws. And I've known p- leaders who tried to tackle problems before they even knew the situation very yeah. well. And, uh, and and then they get bushwhacked. So he, he leaves the city. Right away, Zadok and Abiathar, the two priests, they pick up the ark and they're going to travel out with him. With, and David, you know, with all of his soldiers, is looking at these priests trying to haul this ark with them. And he just right away says, I mean, I know that that would kind of look good if the ark was with me. It, it would look like God was with me. But I'm not going to, number one, play the God card where, hey, God's on my side. He's not on their side. He said, go back. The ark belongs in the, in the, you know, in the tabernacle and leave it there. And besides that, you guys would slow me down. You're know, hauling the ark around. I got to be mobile. Yeah. And then he says, but to Zadok, he says, but you've got two sons. He says, it would be better if, if you sent messages to me with your son so I know what's going on. So, so David, he's being righteous on the one hand. He's also setting up uh, a spy network. Uh, he'll have way more intelligence than uh, Absalom will have. And basically, if you watch how David handles this civil war, it's like a, a man playing with a boy. I mean, David just is so much better of a leader than Absalom is. Absalom's this young guy, charismatic guy. He's got the numbers on his side. He has Jerusalem on his side, but he's no match for his dad once his dad wakes up and starts leading again. Hmm. And so David withdraws. David um, 
sets up a spy network. And then, of course, uh, of course, uh, Hushai is one of those wise men. And he comes to, to be with David. And David says, no, go back to Jerusalem. Because Ahithophel, who's the, perhaps the most famous counselor at that time, he is thrown in his lot with Absalom. And so David says, we've got to counterbalance Ahithophel because he is a very smart guy and he'll give really good counsel. So I want you there to do sort of counterintelligence. I want you to try to thwart his, his counsel. And so, of course, that's what happens. Absalom asks Ahithophel, uh, what should we do? And, and he basically tells Absalom, good advice. Go after him now while he's unprepared. He's disoriented. He, he's not ready. And Hushai, uh, counsels how it would be much better to wait. And, uh, and Absalom heeds his advice and Ahithophel actually goes home and hangs himself, kills himself because for the first time he's not been listened to. Oh wow! And so not only does Hushai, uh, cancel out really good counsel that would have been devastating for David, but he actually takes out <laughs> the counsel that uh, was available to Absalom. And so then uh, one, one or two last things, David, uh, he's, he's got a smaller army, but again, small is not always bad. Uh, and so, but again, you've got to pick, pick your battlefield. And so David, again, just like he did with Goliath, he looks and he sees, okay, I've got a way smaller army than Absalom has. So we're not going to fight on an open field because that would, of course, give the advantage to Absalom. He's got the numbers. He could surround us. He's got more chariots or whatever. So, um, so David moves into a forest. And in a forest, all of a sudden, numbers aren't as big of a deal. And David, then he divides his army into three groups. And he's got three very good commanders uh, who are good at leading men, who've been leading men for years for him. And he divides his, his smaller army into very compact, well-led groups. Absalom just sort of sends his mass of men into a forest without proper leadership. And, uh, and David basically makes mincemeat of him. And the whole time you look at that, you just realize Absalom may have the numbers, he may have the youth, but David is the seasoned veteran leader who now treats Absalom kind of like a kid and uh, quickly uh, defeats him. And so you, you, you look at that, and when you watch that battle and the way David completely outmaneuvers his son over and over again, you realize when David's on his game, when he's leading, yeah. he is a very good leader. It's very hard to outsmart David. He's seeking God. He's relying upon trusted, uh, skilled leaders. Uh, and of course, David wants to go into battle and his leaders say, no, you'll be a target. They'll all surround you. If they kill you, then they won the battle. They won the war. Uh, and he listens to them. He listens to the good advice that comes from his people. Yeah. And so there's so much you could see about David. But uh, the sad thing I think that is so tragic about his life is when, he, when it comes to his work, he uses all those leadership skills uh, with mastery. But uh, when it comes to leading his home, it's like he takes off his leadership cape, his leadership brains, and, yeah. and he just does foolish things. And, mm. and of course, I, I work with a lot of CEOs of some large companies, and they wouldn't be the CEO of a large company if they weren't good at their work and have a successful track record. But, but for some of those, when they come home, it's like they take off their Superman cape and become Clark Kent uh, with an attitude. And they just don't use their same leadership skills with their kids and their wife or their, their husband the way that 
they use them at work. And so that's kind of David's tragic story. Uh, if he yeah. led well in every sphere of his life, it would be a completely different story. Um, but uh, he doesn't, and, uh, and people pay the price when leaders stop leading, even yeah. just for a time. Well, lots of great lessons and, a, and a, just a fascinating character study of David. And uh, I think we'll stop there and uh, until next time. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If this is something you enjoyed, it really makes a difference if you leave a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We always love hearing from our listeners. So email us at podcast at blackv.org.